welcome back to Adhere as always, we are brought to you by you with your support on patreon.com slash adhereanapologetics. Today, I'm joined by Veda MC. He runs Is He a Real One Radio. He's also a recording artist, a songwriter, and if you follow him on Instagram, looks like a guy that you don't want to mess with. Um, so, <laughs> what's up, Veda? How are you doing? What's up, man? It's funny that you say that because I was actually at the gym before I uh, came here and make sure we... Uh, <laughs> and, and make sure we did this interview, man. I, uh, you know, I got me a workout in because I know I'm not gonna be able to do it later, so I had to give me a couple of rounds in. <laughs> so are you training like boxing? Yeah, I, I train like boxing. So you know, um, you know, I am a minister at a local church, so that means that I'm trained to lay hands in two ways, <laughs> brother Zach. I, I, I can lay hands and and pray, and I, I'm just joking. I'm just. Joking. Are you though? <laughs> Oh, man. I'm, good. I'm happy to be here, brother. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm really pumped to have you on. Uh, welcome, everyone, for joining. As always, today we're going to be talking about the question of, is Christianity a white man's religion? I've seen this coming up lately. I was talking to Veda about him coming on. This is something he's very passionate about. So we're just going to kind of like walk through some of like the ideas that you'll see and things along that line um, as we go through this question. But before we get into it, Veda, like if someone doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you talk a little bit about like who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Veda. My name is Veda Hedgeman. And like you said, you know, I, I host a radio program called Is He A Real One Radio. And I actually have a website that's finally going to be live in uh, in approximately a month, you know, where the website is. It's not going to just only show my videos and my articles, but might show videos like things like yours or, or other people's websites, YouTube page and blogs, because it's going to be more like a blog site. Say you go to CNN or Fox News, there's going to be different articles and different videos. That's what's going on in the news world. So it's here. Real one.com is going to be what's going on in the apologetics world, you know, so you can come and check that out. It's here. Real one.com. But, you know, I'm a former atheist. You know, uh, uh, probably an agnostic leaning towards atheism would would be a better way to describe me. It didn't grow up in the church, didn't grow up, you know, thinking about Jesus, thinking about God or anything like that, rejecting them, laughing at Christians. Uh, I, I was under the impression that Christianity was a white man's religion. Mm -hmm. I was never a hostile unbeliever. But but, you know, when I would hear objections, then I'll be I just wouldn't look deep into it. Mm -hmm. And I'll just go. Yeah, well, that's certainly something I don't want to follow, you know, but I'm a former non-believer man and the Holy Spirit, you know, just, you know, just captured me and um, wouldn't let me go. And I'm so glad I serve a God that loves me that much when I was, mm -hmm. you know, happily dying in my flesh or so I thought mm -hmm. happily, you know, so I'm, I'm just grateful to be saved, man. And and that's a little bit about me. You know, I could go on and on about me, but but in short, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a sinner saved by grace and mm -hmm. I'm a saint now. But I'm a saint only because of the work of Jesus Christ, not because of the work that I'm doing. Well, praise God and thank you for your story. I'm curious because it might help like bring a little bit of background. You talked about you coming from like an atheist agnostic background, thought Christianity was a white man's religion. Can you talk a little bit to like the point where you're a Christian now and you have this like Christian radio station? Um, is he a real <laughs> and such? Yeah, big no transition, way. you know? Yeah, well, yeah, it is a big transition. The, the, first response I think of is, first of all, it was answer. It, it was questions that I used to have as a non-believer that I want to make as available as possible to people. Mm -hmm. So whether it be is Christianity, white man's religion, maybe it's did the Bible change over time. Maybe it'd be who wrote the Bible, who decided that those books belong in the Bible. Maybe it's, is there any evidence for Jesus outside of the Bible? There are a plethora of questions that come up and I'm just committed to spending the rest of my life 
making responses to some of these questions as accessible as possible, you know, and and yeah, man, I mean, it, the it, I, I got to know Christ, a combination of personal experience and also the study of apologetics. Like I said, I wasn't a hostile unbeliever, you know, so I was never like rejecting it. Like, nah, I'm just going to keep fighting it and keep fighting it. Mm -hmm. I just never looked at it. Mm -hmm. Didn't have nobody preach the gospel to me. I never even heard the gospel until I until I started studying. And I was like, oh, this is the gospel message. Like I heard of this cat named Jesus that I guess he died on the cross, but I don't really know what for. And I don't really know for who mm -hmm. don't really care. It, you know, so I I was never a hostile non-believer i just you know you know I, i'm just i'm just glad i didn't you know die man because i was living a lifestyle where it would be it wouldn't be uncommon for me to die i grew i grew up gang affiliated as well zach mm -hmm. you know so that's a lifestyle where you know if you if you were to die it's not like people would be sad of course people won't be surprised because mm -hmm. you're living a lifestyle where you know, where the expectancy, you know, is something like that might happen one way or another. So, man, sometimes I'll just start weeping of joy because I'm like, wow, I mean, I should already be facing judgment mm -hmm. for stuff I used to do and God spared me, you know? Yeah, man. Praise God. Thank you for sharing. There's so much to be said, but let's just dive into a little bit about uh, is Christianity a white man's religion? So just on the surface, like what got you interested in this question? Obviously, you know, you talked about it before you're Christian, you kind of thought about this, but like, what, what what keeps you interested in thinking about this question? Because a lot of Christians would obviously just like off the surface be like, no, of course not. Jesus was Arab, don't you know? Like, <laughs> um, but right. it's an interesting question that comes up more than you'd think. So like, what got you interested in this idea? Well, what, what got me interested and what keeps me interested is the fact that it comes up, you know, uh, quite a bit in my community. You know, mm -hmm. for example, you know, I, I've been really blessed and fortunate to be trained, you know, by some of the most notable Christian apologists out there, you know, from Frank Turek, Sean McDowell, Jim Warner Wallace, you know, Daniel Wallace, uh, Gary Habermas. You know, I've been very blessed to be able to learn directly from these people. And they have really intriguing arguments that will bless you as far as worshiping Lord, you know, with with your mind. You know, that's one of the commandments, you know. Uh, but what happens is what what would happen is, you know, I would learn from these great people. I'll be so fired up and I will feel so informed. And when I would go to my community, which is a bunch of people who look like me, you know, you know, and uh, and I'm talking about my skin and I'm talking about my skin complexion, you know, in, in the black community, particularly in America, they're not wondering, you know, they're, they're not arguing about the ontological argument. You know, they're not talking about, OK, well, it does a God exist. You know, they're like, no, Veda, how is you worshiping that that white man's religion? Like, that's the mm. thing that keeps coming up, mm. you know, and and what I've noticed is it's not so much like people will look at it, study it, and then have this position and defend it. People hear it, there's pain attached to, and, you know, this is, you know, certainly related to some of the racial tensions that that's going on, mm -hmm. you know, um, in, in America today, you know, but there's pain attached, many black Americans will say, hey, there's pain attached to my experience as it relates to living in this country, growing up to this country one way or another. And when we hear that slave masters, you know, were professing Christians mm -hmm. and they would, you know, beat the Bible in into our ancestors, it's like, no, I don't want nothing to do with the past. And that would include Christianity. Now, truthfully speaking, it doesn't take a whole lot of research to debunk 
Christianity being the quote unquote white man's religion. It doesn't take, even if you want to argue that it's made up, you know, it's like, you know, like you, like you mentioned, you know, he's Middle Eastern or like it's rooted in Judaic history. Who are the first believers of this faith that we call Christianity? You know, it was a bunch of Jews <laughs> mostly, right? So we could just boom, knock it there. Okay, video over, or let's talk about something else. Theoretically, you know, but the truth of the matter is, it's something that comes up a lot. It's something that comes up a lot. It's a lot of pain attached to it. And because of how humans are, you know, a lot of times humans, we, we tend to make idols out of our pain. We tend to make idols out of things that we're familiar with. And I think that folks in, in my community, and I would even say that I was part of it, you know, back in the day is I'm making an idol out of my pain, meaning I don't even want to hear the truth. The truth is that, you know, uh, it's not any one culture, one uh, nationalities, religion, you know, it, it is for the world, you know, and, and Jesus loves all of us, you know, all of us, you know, just like I was a sinner in South Central and Jesus loved me. It's somebody in Afghanistan who's an image bearer of God. And Jesus loves him or her, too, you know, so but it doesn't take a whole lot of research to debunk it. However, it comes up a lot. And not every non-believer, you know, studies this stuff, you know, <laughs> they, they just don't, you know, they just don't. Yeah. One of the things I've been so blessed with is I've just been able to experience in Christian communities in different nations. Because I think when you grow up in kind of like this American bubble, I can almost see exactly what you're coming from uh, with this idea of Christianity being a white man's religion. Certain, Especially if you can attach it to something like slavery or segregation things like that it's so like do you see like in, in your community like when you've seen people say like christianity is a white man's religion like that's kind of like what they think of christianity is like some sort of like force that was used to like justify like horrific acts of like racism that we've seen like in our country's yeah. past and really even today yeah absolutely absolutely i mean if you know if we did another show we could do one on on the passages in the bible that talk about slavery mm. you know and because that's another thing that comes up because and, and i actually have a video like that on my channel you know if y'all want to subscribe highlight your boy you know subscribe to is here ruin radio link down below. you know <laughs> link down below appreciate you you know but you know so it's in conjunction it, it kind of plays both it, it kind of plays with both sides so it's like okay so this religion you know is an organized religion it was made up by the white man for the, for the most part this is this is what people who will bring this objection up will argue it was made up by the white man um and he did it specifically so that black people could be weak so they could trust that this god is going to save them from this beating i'm about to give these people and here go these passages that say you're supposed to listen to me because i'm your slave master you know, and of course, that's radically out of context. And if you just read any of the books in total that speaks to slavery, you'll see that the Bible isn't condoning, or celebrating slavery, let alone the slavery that happened in America's past. Yeah. But but yes, you know, it's, it's certainly, you know, related to both of those things. Mm. Uh, let's just go to this uh, Old Testament slavery just for a second, because I think it's such an important point. I remember uh, my sister telling me this story a few uh years ago now we live in like the northeast um so she's like in the new york city area where where are you where do you live veda i'm in california los angeles okay. okay so you're in LA. but so we're in new york and my sister's on the bus and she's talking with someone i don't know if they're african-american or caucasian or whatever but they talk about they they're like well i like the new testament where you have this jesus person when you read the old testament what you see is like this barbaric god and slavery and all these things and it seems like it's a 
probably one of the most common objections that we'll see, I've seen, at least online, and also like just talking to people. It's so, like very briefly, you hit on it a little bit. But do you want to go any deeper, like on how do we like approach this issue? Because I think it's something so important, um, and not just this question, but as apologetics and Christians as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. So for one, I would just say, I, I would just say for one, you know, just understanding that Old Testament slavery, you know, wasn't, first of all, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a group of people in a certain situation and God was talking to them about what they were going through at that time. It, it wasn't like saying, Hey, so anybody reading this, go get you a slave. And then this is how you treat them. That's number one. Secondly, if you are to look into uh, biblical slavery, you'll see that there were conditions that that if America's history was following, you know, it wouldn't have been no slavery at all. Because for one, you know, if you were to uh, kidnap them, you know, they if you were to kidnap them, you weren't supposed to do that. You know, they are to be free. You know, you couldn't kill them. There were so many things that you couldn't do. And also slavery wasn't slavery that we think of. It was actually voluntary servitude in most cases, you know, so it'll be about six or seven years and then they'll be free. So basically, uh, you know, so let, let's say if I have more financial freedom than you, Zach, and you'll go, OK, well, Veda has financial freedom. He has financial stability. I don't have that. I'm going to offer my services as a skilled person who can help him live his life. And I'm going to be in service of him, you know, for six to seven years or something like that. And you are my servant. And there are things that I can't do. I can't, you know, bust your mouth open and break your teeth. It's so much stuff that I can't do because God said not to do it. Not only did God say not to do it, he kept reminding the Israelites to remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. He kept reminding them saying, hey, look, check this out. Remember, y'all were once in uh, y'all were once in servitude and it was not cool. That was not it. So don't treat the people who are in service of you that same way. You know, that's the quickest way I could do it. But one of the things that I'll say, you know, if someone is ever in conversation with that is I would just say to think of some scriptures that contradict that objection. And what I mean by that is people might bring up you know, uh, a, a passage from Exodus and say, OK, well, look here, read this from naked view. It seems like this is saying that you can have slavery, you know, and say, OK, well, maybe we don't have an hour to unpack this so that I could debunk you. I would just bring up another verse that clearly contradicts that. One of those would be Job 31, 13 to 15. You're still in the Old Testament, so you're not even going to the New Testament to debunk it, even though you can. You're still in the Old Testament. Job uh, 31, 13 to 15. And Job says, if I have denied justice to any of my servants or the male or female, when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made in the womb, made me in the womb, make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? This is Job saying, if I mistreat my servants, at some point, I'm going to have to be in front of God and God is going to be like, uh-uh, that's wrong. You ain't supposed to do that to those image bearers. Mm -hmm. So if you're ever in a conversation like that, I always say, Hey, look, just try to remember that verse because that clearly contradicts what the person who's bringing that up is trying to say. And you need to unpack both of those verses, but clearly Job is saying here, Hey, it ain't cool to be wrong to a slave. It ain't cool to do, to do anything wrong and to, impoverish or to beat or assault a slave mm -hmm. so this is contradicting whatever 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I just read one of the comments. Somebody was writing in all caps, and then they said, "I'm not yelling." <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> Steve, you, you yeah. threw us off here. Come on. <laughs> but but yeah, so I would recommend just doing that because you will still have to unpack the Exodus passage or the Leviticus or Deuteronomy passage, and you will also need to unpack the Job package. But clearly, but clearly, when you look at both of those verses, you go, all right, well, there's clearly more that we need to study here. So if you aren't a person who are not, who isn't very well learned and very well studied, I would just say no Job 31, 13 to 15. You're still in the Old Testament. It's actually uh, the oldest book that's written in the Bible, if I'm not mistaken. You know, so clearly these two, one is a, might appear to be supporting slavery. The other one is clearly not doing it. So we obviously need to talk about this more. So that would be my that would be my approach. And if you have more time, I would actually say go to Is Here a Real One radio and check out a presentation. And I'm not like trying to plug my show like that, but you I can't do plug your show on my yeah. show. <laughs> no, but I do walk through a lot of those passages. Like I walk through them, you know, on there on does the Bible endorse slavery? Yeah, there's a lot of good resources out there. Check yours out. Dr. Paul Copan's book is got a monster. Great introduction to this topic. But uh, back to like, is Christianity a white man's religion? Like how, in your community, how big of an issue do you think this is? Like, I think we often see like the biggest issues, uh, usually in like the popular sphere, maybe like some form of the problem of evil, especially on an emotional level, or maybe like divine hiddenness. Like, is it on that level? Uh, the, is Christianity a white man's religion, do you think? Well, I, I would say it's probably the, the biggest, you know, as far as, you know, in minority communities, you know, there are scholars like Dr. Vince Bantu, who has said multiple times, you know, that that in in most not just in America, but around the world in places of color. That's the biggest objection. You know, that's the biggest objection, you know, because of the imagery and the perception in several communities around the world you know, about, you know, the white Jesus, Jesus looking like Brad Pitt or whoever and things of that and things of that nature, you know? So, you know, so I would say it's, it's, it's certainly the thing that I hear the most, you know, from, from, from communities of color. And you even got scholars like Vince Bantu who will say that around the world, that's probably overall the, the biggest thing. So, Let's just just in a broad sense first, like how do we address this claim? Um, like if someone just says to you, like, you know, Vada, Christianity is just a white man's religion, it's used to oppress people and to force them into submitting into certain beliefs. Like, how do you address this question um in its most general sense? Well, it depends on how much time I have. You know, that, that, <laughs> that's number one. You know, if I don't you know, if I don't have much time, I might say something similar, like when you asked me about the slave thing, and I basically just said, say this scripture right here, because it'll open up the door that clearly there's more to unpack, right? Because this right here is sound like you got to be nice to your servants. It sounds like you got to be good to your servants. So it's clearly more to unpack. So, you know, it, it depends on how much time I have. But, you know, I would. So let, let, let me put it like, let me put it like this, Zach, you know, so. A lot of times I don't think this objection is ultimately thought through thoroughly, because, again, even if you believe that Christianity is made up by somebody or made up by the New Testament writers or something like that, it still isn't the white man's religion. It's not some Europeans coming together to do this, to take control of black people. That still isn't the case, even if you even if you do that. Right. You know, so, you know, I, I would just go like. If you think about even if you concede a ridiculous point, like if you were to go, all right, I'm going to concede that 
15 white dudes came together and was like, yo, let's create this book. We're going to call it the Bible and it's going to be a compilation of 60 cents different books, right? We're going to make this up right now. I don't know what year they would have done this because, again, if you're making this objection, you haven't studied history, not just religious history, history in general. Right. But let, let's say you concede all of that and you go, all right, I'm going to concede that a group of 20 white dudes made this up in the first century sometime and they made up all 66 books. It still isn't the white man's religion if you actually read what they wrote in the compilation of 66 books okay the 10 commandments were given on mount sinai all right exodus chapters 19 to 24 mount sinai history and 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 studies show us right now that mount sinai is noticed is is located in egypt so you mean to tell me the 10 commandments now i didn't know the 10 commandments as a non-believer but i heard of them i told you i didn't even hear the gospel yet but i heard of the 10 commandments so the place where the 10 commandments were given was a place that is geographically located in africa really mm -hmm. so even if you concede a ridiculous point like yeah a group of 20 europeans came up with it in ad 50 or something like that it still ain't the white man's religion if you actually read it uh uh Moses is probably the most uh popular Old Testament prophet, okay? And he had an African wife. She was a Kushite, all right? She was a Kushite. That means that she was Ethiopian. That's in Numbers 12:1. You know, if anybody's listening to this and they take notes. So, 10 commandments, that's in Exodus chapters 19 to 24, and Moses being married to a to a Kushite, you can see that in the book of Numbers chapter uh chapter 12, verse 1. Even Jeremiah being saved by by a Kushite, okay, being saved by an Ethiopian, and not to mention in the New Testament church, we see and Pentecost Af Africans were present. Later in the Book of Acts, we see the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, being saved. And if you were to read it, you see the presence of black skin. You see the presence of Africans. So mm -hmm. clearly, there are Africans hearing the gospel message and hearing the message of God described in the Bible well before the transatlantic slave trade. Not to mention that the message of the gospel is that man, all of mankind is sinful. None of us are righteous. No, not one. Yet we can receive the gift of what only the righteous deserves, which is presence with God Almighty for all eternity. And how do we get that? Through the blood and the work of Jesus Christ. All of us, the white dudes, the black dudes, the Mexican dudes, the Afghanistanian mm -hmm. women, pick a pick a culture, pick a an ethnic group, mm -hmm. and we, we we can be saved. We can mm -hmm. be saved. So if you just read that, so that's one of the things that I say. Like, look, even if I concede a ridiculous point, like a group of twenty to twenty five Europeans made this up, it still isn't the quote unquote white man's religion. Actually, open up and read your Bible because it is the Word of God, the Creator of the universe, and everything mm -hmm. in it cared enough about you. This is me talking to the non-believer. He cared enough about you to leave sixty six love letters, man. So you might want to read it, check it out, see what it's saying. And and I'll let you ask the next question. But we can also get into a lot of the things that happen in early church history that involve some form of African or mm. or that was in Africa. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. I do want to say that not only in addition to the 66 love letters, you also have the same book being the best selling book in all of human history. So pretty good thing to add right there. Uh, so. I think a lot of the hardest objection will come from uh, what you'll see in like the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries uh, when you'll have 
colonists from Europe settling in uh, North America, and you have the transatlantic slave trade, which starts in, I believe, 1619, and they see Christianity as something that was used to, like, control those people, and I think that's where a lot of the hardest objection comes from. You could also go down to, like, Africa. If you look at history, like, take, for for example, King Leopold and the Congo, just some horrific things and i think oftentimes like christianity can get lumped into like those horrific things that happened in the past that were totally unjust done by primarily uh, white people so like when we're looking specifically like the most like the recent like three four or five hundred years like how do you look at this question well you know that goes to one of the things that you asked earlier you talked about the problem with evil right so if I do something evil right now in the middle of this live that we're doing right now, that doesn't all of a sudden mean Christianity is true because Veda did something evil. That, you know, <laughs> and that's not what that means. And you 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 mentioned the 15th, 16th century. This is well after the apostolic period. Well, yeah. after Jesus, you know, then died, uh, rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. This is well after that. So one of the when that comes up, I like to talk about, you know, I'm married. All right. I'm married. Now, if my wife isn't very well versed in scripture and i take verses out of context and i say hey look here you're supposed to submit to me woman you know that's that's what the bible say all right (laughs) (laughs) the bible say you're supposed to submit to me woman all right i don't want to hear it right christianity isn't suddenly true because veda is misusing and abusing scripture in the year 2020 christianity has been practiced and has existed for almost two thousand years at the time I did that. So to say that it now doesn't exist just because I am misusing and abusing scripture for my own interests is absurd. We wouldn't say that about anything else. This is why I like to focus on uh, early church history and what the Bible actually says. And I, and I try to use that as an example as to why that doesn't work. You know, that just simply doesn't work. You know, like, like, like I said, man, if I say something crazy right now on October, whatever, what's this? October 15th, 15th. October 15th, 2020, that doesn't suddenly mean Christianity is untrue after 2000 years <laughs> of, of saving people, of people living, being, being born again, dying, going to glory. All of a sudden it ain't true because I did something evil. No. And if you actually want to say that you are actually making the white man your lord actually because you're saying that his evil is so much more powerful than god that doesn't make any sense bro stop it awesome uh so we'll dive into early church history for a second here i do want to encourage everyone if you're listening live we will do a little bit of q a in the end for about 15 minutes or so so it is open i saw one question um it's roast veda mc session if you want uh but for now you talk about early church history and this being like a really important part of like this whole question i i believe you probably have to fact check me on this but i believe ethiopia is actually the longest um lasting christian nation in the world uh, pretty amazing but like talk about early church history and why you think this is so important in this question well because a lot of our early church fathers were either from africa or had a heavy ministry in africa in fact uh, excuse me like i i have two videos on this topic right I have two videos on this topic. It's Christianity, White Man's Religion, part one and part two. I'm, I'm going to work on a part three because I actually haven't done a video where I talked about some of the things that I already mentioned in scripture. You know, so I'll dive more into that. And I also will dive into the Council of Nicaea. A lot of 
a lot of unlearned non-believers will say that Christianity was invented at the Council of Ni of Council of Nicaea and things like that. Of, <laughs> of course, that's not true, but they will say things about this Council of Nicaea. People hear of the Council of Nicaea and they just have a rumor and they just run with it. What's interesting about that is even if Again, let's con let's f just for the sake of making a strong point, let's concede a ridiculous point that Christianity was invented at the Council of Nicaea. Do you know who was present at the Council of Nicaea? Africans. OK, mm -hmm. Africans were on the council at the Council of Nicaea on both sides, disagreeing with each other. I'm not saying it was exclusively Egyptians and northern Africans, but I am saying that it was Africans there. So even if you want to say, hey, you know, it was invented at the Council of Nicaea, which is what a lot, which is what a lot of unlearned atheists will say. Guess what? Guess what? Guess who you were saying invented it then? OK. Mm -hmm. Africans. <laughs> so just read a little something, bro. Sis, come on, just read a little something, you know. And uh, and also, in addition to that, one of the things that really stood out to me is the manuscript evidence that has a relation to to Africa, Zach. You know, you you mentioned uh, you mentioned something earlier, you know, about the Bible being you know the best selling thing and. and, and in, in the history of the world, which is true. What's interesting about that, though, is and again, I told you I've you know, I've also had the privilege of learning from people like Daniel Wallace. Right. So I'm mm -hmm. looking at textual criticism because I'm like, OK, well, how do we know the Bible hasn't changed over time? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how do we know this? How do we know that? And whether you listen into Daniel Wallace or James White, even though I know a lot of people mad at him nowadays and they don't listen to him no more, you know, or or whoever, you know, even if you listen to Bart Ehrman, whoever whoever has demonstrated a level of familiarity with new Testament textual criticism or textual criticism with the Bible in general, you're going to hear them talk about certain manuscripts that are very important. And what I observed, because again, I'm looking at it from a lens because I know this comes up from my context and I'm like, wow, this was discovered in Africa. Wow. This is in an African language. For instance, the oldest the oldest New Testament manuscript that we have of the Bible. All right. The oldest New Testament fragment. I'm sorry. It's not a whole manuscript. It's a fragment. It's called P52. It is a portion of John's gospel. All right. It's a portion of John's gospel. It's about the size of a credit card. I don't care if you're talking to Bart Ehrman, uh, James White, uh, Daniel Wallace, Peter Gurry, whoever you're talking to, you're going to hear them talk about P52 because it is incredibly important to New Testament textual criticism because it's dated around AD 125 to AD 225. It is the oldest uh, biblical fragment uh, in the New Testament, I'm sorry, that we have. And guess where we found it? Guess where we found it? We found it in Africa. It was discovered in Egypt. The oldest one that we have was actually discovered in Egypt. So not only now, again, I don't know when it got there. So the reason that's important is because it's, it's a piece of scripture. Right. So the objection when they say, yo, Christianity is the white man's religion. They're saying that nobody in Africa had access to the Bible or to God as described in the Bible before the transatlantic slave trade. It was this was discovered in AD 125 to AD 225. I don't know mm -hmm. when it got there, but in order, but in order for it to be discovered there, it had to get there at some point. 
<laughs> and the oldest New Testament fragment that we have was actually discovered in uh, was actually discovered in Egypt, as well as Codex Sinaiticus. Codex Sinaiticus, I actually forget. Sometimes I get Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus. And you're sounding smart right now. I'm sounding smart. Thanks, man. That's why I put these glasses on. I there you go. That's like five smart glasses on. Go, go gadget glasses, man. So I'm glad it's working out, man. Glasses don't fail me now. All right. <laughs> but I, I get I get Codex Sinaiticus confused with this other uh, thing called Codex Vaticanus. So I'm going to slow down. I don't want to assume people know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to slow down a bit. All right. Codex Sinaiticus is it, it either is the complete Bible or it has most of the Bible. I, I'm for, It's escaping me off the top of my head, okay? But this is dated around AD 350, meaning we have a compilation of either all of the books in the Bible or most of the books in the Bible that this was written, it was copied in approximately AD 350, all right? This is almost around or about 300 years after, you know, Jesus died, rose again and ascended into heaven. That's when Codex Sinaiticus was uh, was copied. This is very important in the historicity of New Testament textual criticism. And it's one of the oldest Bibles that we have. And it was discovered in Africa. Now, that's really important to this objection. It's important to textual criticism because it's like, wow, we have, you know, all the books in the Bible or most of the books in the Bible in one place, you know, in, in one compiled place. That's important to textual criticism. But as it pertains to this silly objection that Christianity was invented by the white man to control black people, we see the black people, they had they had Bibles already, you know, Codex Sinaiticus. And there's also things like uh, Codex Euphrami which which has representation of every single New Testament book, Zach. So there's a codex, and you can look up everything I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Play this back, take notes, and look it up, look it up, fact check me, and um, tell me where I'm wrong, right? Co if, you, if you look up a codex called Codex Euphrami, this has representation of every single New Testament book, except for 2 Thessalonians and 2 John. Codex Euphrami. All right. This is dated in the AD 400s. Now, this history seems to tell us that uh, that this was discovered in Egypt as well. You know, Co uh, Constantine von Tischendorf. I'm not sounding. Am I? I, I don't want to sound like. Yeah, I'm yeah, you're all good. Much. You're all good, okay. bro. All right. Boy. All right. There's a gentleman named Constantine von Tischendorf who who said that it was discovered in Egypt. And we don't have record of anyone arguing that it was not. So that's why we can trust that. Now, who was Constantine von Tischendorf, Veda? Just because he said it was discovered in Egypt. Constantine von Tischendorf is actually the gentleman who discovered Codex Sinaiticus. So he was very familiar with this field. So he's not somebody who's just making stuff up. So when he says it was discovered in Egypt and we don't have record of anyone ever disputing that, you know, we take that you know, as something that's worth something. Now I could go on and on about, about fragments and about fragments of scripture or manuscripts or complete Bibles of scripture that were discovered in Africa. But we also got, got manuscripts that are in African languages. We can go to that next, if you like. Sure. Maybe hit on that for a few minutes, but it is um, really interesting. I'm curious. One thing you could add, like 
Is there any sort of this in like sub-Saharan Africa? Because I know you get a lot of this going on in like Egypt, Ethiopia, things like this. Like when does Christianity take hold in like sub-Saharan Africa? And then feel free to go on in, in African languages. Yeah, man. So so that's a really great question. That's a really great question. So so and and I actually meant to say this in in, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So when I when I'm debunking this claim, or when you are debunking this claim, the our point isn't to say it's first it's first of all not to defend slavery and it's also not to even have the argument that every single uh african you know heard the gospel first right because we can't say that so so it does appear to be some africans who heard the gospel first you know because of slave traders that does appear to be the case you know so i i can't stand up here and say that that was not the case but i think that what is important is that christianity existed Christianity was being practiced and it was also in Africa before that. So, again, going back to my, uh, you know, to my analogy about if my wife never heard the gospel. Right. Or if my wife, you know, uh, doesn't know the Bible, hopefully she's not offended by me using uh, her as an example. Christianity has still been practiced for nearly 2000 years before 2020 when I started doing my evil. So therefore, we can't say that Christianity is not true just because it might be true that she first heard these passages when I started misusing it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, so I, I try to focus on that because it's it's hard to say that, you know, Southern Africa you know, uh, did receive uh, Christianity, you know, in this time, although we do know that there are places like Ethiopia, for example, there's a king named King Izana, you know, uh, of Aksum, which is in Ethiopia. And this was in the AD 300s. And he and he wanted Christianity to be uh, the nation's official religion. And this is in the AD 300s. But of course, that's still a lot more northern than, say, southern Africa. Mm-hmm. OK, Um do you want to hit on the African languages idea a little bit? I think that's a really interesting idea. Or, yeah, yeah, I can go over that just a little bit. So, you know, for anyone who, but before I even go there, I just want to put it in context why this is important, right? So, so if you're talking to anybody about, okay, well, how do we know the Bible hasn't changed, or, or you know, how, how do we know that you know certain books were treated as scripture, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of times people will talk about how many manuscripts or fragments that we have of scripture that were existed. And a lot of times it's in the language of Greek. You know, it's in Aramaic. It's in Latin. It's in a bunch of different languages, because like Zach said earlier, you know, the Bible is by far the highest selling book of all time for that for that reason right there. That is in so many different languages. Now, some of these languages that make up the thousands and thousands and thousands of new testament manuscripts and fragments that we have available to this day a lot of those are in african languages and guess what they're way before the transatlantic slave trade you know so for example coptic is an egyptian language right coptic now the earliest manuscript that we have in the language of coptic is dated in ad 290 okay it's dated in ad 290 it's in coptic which is an african language it is an egyptian language now why would we have a manuscript of scripture in an african language if no african has 
been introduced to the Bible or to God as described in the Bible before the transatlantic slave trade in 1619 or whenever it was, you know, because it's not true. Okay. There is a rich African history and not to mention that we have around or about 900 in the 900 manuscripts or fragments of the Coptic language still available to this day. Still available to this day. Now, what about Ethiopian? Ethiopia, mind you, already told y'all earlier that Moses had an Ethiopian wife. So what about the Ethiopians, man? It was an Ethiopian eunuch in, in the book of Acts. But do we have, you know, uh, do we have manuscripts and fragments of the Bible that's in Ethiopia? That's before the transatlantic slave trade? I don't know. Well, if you were to look it up, you would see that the research it's telling us that the earliest manuscript that we have is dated in the AD 500s in the Ethiopian language. That is the earliest manuscript that uh, scholars are saying that we have is dated in the AD 500s in the Ethiopian language. And we have over 600 manuscripts. Now, mind you, why is this important? Because that is well before the transatlantic slave trade. It's well before the transatlantic slave trade. And this stuff in African languages. So what's like the reaction, you know, if someone may say, hey, Veda, you know, Christianity is a white man's religion. You give them all these things that you're talking about here. What's usually like kind of like the reaction you'll get? Will you get a lot of pushback or is it like, hmm, never thought about it? Like what? what's the response you get? Usually I get I get changing of subjects. That's usually what I get. Mm. So for, first of all, you know, because we're not trying to win arguments. Right. We're trying to win souls for Christ. Right. So yeah, sure. so oftentimes I'm asking questions because. And I, and I don't mean no disrespect when I say this, but I do know that if you're making this objection, it's a whole bunch of studying that you haven't done. That's just mm -hmm. true. So I'm just asking questions. And as soon as I see a hole in your question, I'll just poke there because I'll just go, OK, it's the white man's religion. So what do you mean by that? Are you saying that white people made it up? If so, when? Tell me when Did they made it up in 8300. Because I just told you, you know, that we got scripture and we got manuscripts or fragments that's older than that. So I'll poke there. You know, are you saying that they like like who made it up? What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> like what like what are you talking about? So I usually just ask questions. But when I do start rolling off some of this information, when we're actually having a conversation, you know, usually people just change the subject. Usually people just change the subject. That That's really what it is. They'll start talking about, OK, well, slavery in the Bible or something else. And when and it's not just people who make this objection. I find this with skeptics and non-believers in general. You know, if you have a, a good response for something, they'll just jump to the next objection. Unfortunately, but I think that excuse me, I think that also demonstrates that your problem actually wasn't that you thought it was the white man's religion. Your problem actually wasn't that you thought, you know, God endorsed slavery. Your problem actually actually isn't that you thought, you know, uh, you know, um, that 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 God was evil or that God is the reason for evil or whatever the objection is. That's actually not the problem. That's just what you're saying. The problem is that you don't want to submit yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord, your God. You know, that's the problem. And I get it because my flesh don't like to do it either, you know, but I'm just grateful that the Holy Spirit is stronger than my flesh. Amen. Sound like a little bit of like a, of a Calvinist there almost for a second. <laughs> oh, did I? <laughs> I'm not. But <laughs> a little bit. Sometimes, you know, it's kind of hard. My friend, I'm like, oh, I don't really know where you, you sound like a Calvinist here, you know? So I don't know. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Fun stuff. Um, so we'll go to a little bit of q and I saw at least one question. We'll answer any questions or super chats, things like that here for a little bit. Um, a question from. Alvin Plantinga, actually not Alvin Plantinga, his bulldog, Calvin Omar, says, who is your favorite early church father? 
Ah, that's a good question. It's hard for me to say. I may say Tertullian because, uh, you know, church. First of all, I don't consider myself a church father expert. That's number one. I want to say that. But Tertullian, you know, was an apologist in the second century. And I believe he lived to the third century. And he was an apologist. He defended the faith. And also, if I'm not mistaken, I think he, you know, uh, he, he's, he's the reason we have a lot of uh, I think we have a lot of the terms that we have, like, even like New Testament and Old Testament. You know, so these are things that I want to confirm before I make my part three of this topic. By the way, Tertullian actually is African. OK, he was born in North Africa, by the way. So there you go. We got church fathers who everybody talks about. You might hear people just bring up in a regular context about. So Plantiga's bulldog, if you ask, you know, a scholar or someone who's into this stuff, who their favorite church father is, man, it's highly probable that they'll mention someone who's African. Tertullian, <laughs> Tertullian is African. Origin is African. Uh, um, Saint Cyprian is African. All of these people, you know, have have African roots. But anyway, you know, my understanding, you know, is that Tertullian is actually how we got the the terminology of New Testament, Old Testament, and even Trinity. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to misspeak, but I do like him because he was defending the faith very early, and it was very hostile. So shouts out to Tertullian and shouts out to all of our church fathers. But also, I'm not uh, I don't consider myself to be a church father expert at all. You you mean you are an expert on you are not an expert on everything? Uh, <laughs> nah, not yet. Not Robert. yet. Nate is. <laughs> Nate is in the chat. He's an expert on everything. Nate is the man. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, <laughs> I think it's all the questions. But one question I have for you, this is kind of on topic, but also different. Obviously, we live in a very like polarizing time we have the black lives matter movement going on right now there's so much um in terms of like racial things that have just kind of come up and a lot of people may not really know what's going on like for example someone like me i'm a white person who grew up in a middle class town in the middle of pennsylvania like i don't know what's going on in like la with um an african-american like yourself in the big city so like for someone who isn't doesn't really understand everything that's going on like what's going on and like how is christian should we like approach this issue obviously it's a very complex thing to throw at you and i never didn't like listen to questions or anything but like what's your kind of thoughts on all this stuff My, that, that's a great question bro and, and i'm glad you asked that you know because again the truth of the matter is that's actually connected to this objection right <sighs> you know so what a somebody said nate is an expert at expertise <laughs> that, <laughs> that's hilarious uh but but my thing is to understand that we as believers are to mourn with those who mourn. Mm -hmm. So, so that will be my thing. We are to mourn with those who mourn and we see a theme of justice throughout the Bible, old Testament and new Testament. We see a theme of justice. So even if you, even if a person goes, Hey, what many of these image bearers are saying you know, these image bearers are saying they have bad experiences with police all the time. They say that it's harder for them to find jobs. These image bearers are saying that they have to name their child names that they think will make them more likely to get a job. Like, I really want to name my son Jamal. I really want to name my daughter Lakeisha. But if I name my son, you know, uh, Taylor, you know, if I name him Tyler, you know, with, you know, where you can't really tell what color they are. I think my son is more likely to get a job, even if he has a master's degree. 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't. I want to name my daughter Lakeisha, but I'm going to name her, you know, Mary or something like that, where you can't, where our culture won't be able to tell, you know, that she has black skin. Just knowing that image bearers, and I'm saying image bearers, not people, not black people. I'm talking about image bearers who mm-hmm. happen to be in America. And those and those image bearers who happen to be in America, who happen to be black, tend to say the same thing almost in unison. Now, I'm not saying every single black person shares that narrative or shares that story, but we can agree that most will say that. Most will hear what I just said and go, yep, 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 mm. I, yep I got you. So even if a person, Zach, like, you know, is listening, they go, well, I don't see that. Like, I hear what you're saying, but I don't see it. I did look up some stats and the stats that I found don't seem to don't don't seem to correspond with what you're saying. I think that there is a space for statistical analysis because that is important because we need to be as accurate as possible. And there's also a space for experience. Both of them matter. All right. Both of them matter. And I think that as believers, as fellow image bearers, we are to mourn with those who are mourning. And if someone is mourning because someone was just killed by the police and they feel like that murder that the police just did is a representation of a greater issue that happens with police interactions, because sometimes it might not end with a death. Maybe it's just a elbow to the rib when I'm getting arrested that I didn't need to deal with and maybe Veda might deal with that but if you got arrested Zach you wouldn't deal with it I believe we should approach it with a spirit of humility and a spirit of wanting to mourn with those who mourn because that is what we are called that's one of the things we're called to do so of course I could go deeper into things but when I'm talking to believers I'm saying that we need to have a heart and a mind to want to mourn with those who mourn because Zach, if you tell me something right now and I'm like, wow, that sounds like that sucks. I I've never heard that before. And I'm actually a bit confused by it, but honestly, man, I, I, I feel terrible for that. I honestly do because you are an image bearer and I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to your cousin. I don't want that to happen to your son or your daughter. I don't want that to happen to your mama or your daddy. That sucks. It sucks. And if all of y'all, or, or if a whole bunch of people are saying the same thing, except for maybe 10 percent, it there's something to it. There's mm-hmm. something to it. That, that's that's what I would say. Yeah, that's really good. Well put. Thank you, Veda. Uh, another question here. We're flying all over like topic wise. Uh, lost it here for a second. It's from planning his bulldog again. He says uh, for you, what's your favorite argument for the existence of God? Uh, I don't have one. I don't have one because I, 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 I mean, maybe the fact that we're here, that, that might be my favorite one. Why, why are we here? How do we get here? I, even when people try to argue for evolution and they go, yo, we used to be fish. You know, again, the way sometimes I will momentarily concede ridiculous points because I thought about them as a non-believer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how my skeptic mind works. I go, even if I concede this point, then what? So let's say we did used to be fish. First of all, why did we stop? Why, why we ain't keep becoming something else? Secondly, how did that first fish get here? Like we still need to answer for the existence of stuff. How did this get here? <laughs> how, did, how, how did we get here? What happened? What happened? The Bible says what happened. Okay. 
Genesis 1-1. You know, so that might be my that might be my favorite, the mere fact that we're here. But I'll tell you the one that it, it was two that played a really large part in my uh, accepting of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. And it would be Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled. Because again, when you understand what the Bible is, and then you read the 27 books in the New Testament, knowing that they're written, you know, so many years after the 39 books in the Old Testament, and all of the things that Jesus fulfilled, it's just impossible for yeah, a bunch yeah. of human beings to be that witty. We just aren't that <laughs> we just aren't that witty. And then when you understand, then when you understand that it's not even written by the same person or like the same people in the same location is written at different times at different locations. And they couldn't text each other back and forth to say, Hey, here's what you're saying. What did you say? It's like, dude. So fulfilled prophecy is a, was played a major part in, 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 in ministering to me as I got to know Jesus and the study of t textual criticism, knowing that the Bible hasn't changed. One thing I'll add for you, Kyle, cause I know that, uh, I know, Kyle. Cool, dude. Uh, modal cosmological arguments, very different than what you're talking about, but I've been reading um, Dr. Proust's work on the les the line busy and something's cosmological argument. He's been talking about like modal cosmological arguments, very powerful stuff that I know you'll like. Uh, but Veda, it's been real, man. Uh, is he a real one or idiot? I guess. So, you know, it's been real. Appreciate your time. Is there any kind of like closing thoughts you want to give before we start to wrap things up here? Uh, well, as, as it relates to this topic, I would just say to you know, always have our our minds and our, you know, and our hearts open. You know, sometimes we hear objections and we might think this is a ridiculous objection. I shouldn't even have to respond to this because it's so absurd. But the truth of the matter is that's how that's how heresy starts to grow. That's how ridiculous objections begin to grow. So, you know, we, we, we need to squash it as soon as we can, as soon as we can. If you were to tell somebody, you know, that Jesus is really the archangel Michael in the book of Daniel, your first response might be, what? That's stupid. That don't make no sense. You know, but you have Jehovah's Witnesses who will live and die by that, you know, and they'll argue it with you, too, if they knock on your door and you talk to them about it. So we shouldn't I don't think we should take objections lightly if people are saying it i think we should figure out a thoughtful way to respond you know be prepared to give an answer and you know and not be trying to win arguments and don't get discouraged if you say something and it's like i said all that man i rewatched that uh conversation with veda and zach and i was writing stuff down and man i man i i said all that stuff you know that i heard veda say i said it all and then they just didn't say nothing don't get discouraged. First of all, they aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord. And I don't believe the Lord is more hurt than you are. All right. Because the Lord wants that soul for himself. Do I sound like a Calvinist now, Zach? No. Oh, How was that? <laughs> All the and out there, they're very happy right now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, I, I would just say, you know, don't be discouraged in your evangelism, you know, because, you know, because you can't unhear what you heard. And, you know, and whenever, you know, they do respond to the gospel, if that's what's, you know, um, if that's what's ultimately going to happen, they will remember what you said to them three years ago. You know, like, oh, snap. And I'm telling you from experience, there are things that people like kind of said to me, you know, over years that I didn't care nothing about certain songs that I heard. And I just didn't care nothing about. And when I started really, you know, caring about what God was saying, 
those things really stood out to me. It was like highlighting something that was just sitting on my soul for years. So don't be discouraged. Do your evangelism and, you know, let the Lord be glorified, man, because King Jesus is king. And I'm glad he is because I can't defeat. I can't defeat my sin. I'm a weak. I'm a, I'm weak. Y'all I'm weak. I'm weak. I can't defeat my sin. I'm going to fall and fail every single time, every single day. But how am I? How am I strong? Even though I'm weak, because I'm strong in Jesus and Jesus's power is made perfect for my weakness. That includes when I'm feeling weak in temptation, feeling weak in my anger, feeling weak and wanting to cut somebody out instead of speaking with grace. So, you know, I know you didn't ask me to come preach on your show. You hey, you're all, there's never no. a bad time to <laughs> preach the gospel. I, I, I can't complain. Yeah, man. So, you know, God is good, man. That's what I would say. And shouts out to uh, Gerard Perry. He said, oh, he said, check out the channel, JW Escape. Oh, I thought he was saying he escaped the JWs. Oh, by the way, I actually have uh, two episodes on my show about Jehovah's Witnesses. One, I'm debunking Jehovah's Witnesses using their own Bible. I'm demonstrating that the Trinity is true doctrine using the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible. So I encourage you to check that out. Yeah, using their Bible only, like only using the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible, a corrupt Bible and demonstrating that Jesus is Jehovah God. The Holy Spirit is Jehovah God. The Holy Spirit is a person and not a force. And then I followed that up, you know, with Dr. Rob Bowman and and I talked to him about certain passages that they changed. And he explained to us because he's a Greek scholar, how we can know that they changed it wrongly. So. Yeah, I would just say, you know, check check out my channel, man. Check out my channel. And I pray that the Lord is glorified. And I pray that the Lord was glorified in this conversation as well, my brother. Amen. And if anyone here uh, is listening and you haven't heard the gospel message before, you never accepted it. Today could be the day. Uh, hey, man, hey, I, I'll do an invitation, too. Don't play with me. <laughs> is there one? Is there one? <laughs> already altar call via live chat. And if you're listening via podcast, I don't really know how we do an altar call because it's like pre-recorded. But uh <laughs> It's been real, Veda. I appreciate the time so much. I encourage everyone, you can go subscribe to Is He a Real One Radio. It's in the live chat right now. It's also in the description uh, if you're here via YouTube or podcast. I encourage you, if you're here um, for the first time, Nate says subscribe to Zachary Duda. I don't know who Zachary Duda is, but I do know who Zach is. And we're going to be talking about Black Hebrew Israelitism tomorrow with Jordan Ortiz. I encourage you to subscribe, uh, leave a like, you can leave a rating. And if you enjoy the show, you can support the show on patreon.com. So I should hear an apologetics. As a college student, this is how... I stay alive, more or less, um, plus student loans. So here we are, and you can support. Um, we're about 70% funded. So appreciate your support. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Veda, for coming on. Really appreciate right. it, man. God bless you, brother. Thank you, everybody. Y'all be blessed. God bless, everyone. Have a good one.